I've entitled today's message, Can God Still Use Me After I Fail? Uh, and sometimes, uh, if you are new to walking with the Lord, you may not know what I'm talking about. But if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, that uh, even as a believer, and sometimes especially as a believer, uh, we don't do what we ought to do in ways that we thought we never would. And what I mean by that is that we thought more of ourselves than we should have. And then God revealed to ourselves the truth about ourselves. And that failure doesn't just sting in the moment. It feels like a stain that's on us that we can't get rid of. And it makes us think things that aren't true, things that would cause us to flee from God's presence rather than running to God and enjoying his presence. And we have a case study of that with the Apostle Peter. Uh, Jesus, in preparing to lay down his life, was trying to prepare his disciples for the time that he would die and then be buried and raised from the dead. And he told them over and over and over again. And it's like they weren't paying attention. They weren't hearing what he was saying. And then Jesus died. And in the process of all of that, Jesus told his disciples that each of them would uh, betray him in their own way, that they would all flee from him. And uh, Peter said out loud what everybody else was probably thinking, but Peter uh, is kind of the voice piece. Uh, we all have a, a friend like this in, in the friend group. Everybody's thinking it, but the one friend says it. That was Peter in their group. And he said, Lord, even if everybody den denies you, I won't deny you. And, and Jesus did for Peter what he could have done for everybody, but he just did it for Peter. And he said, uh, not only are you going to deny me, this is how you're going to do it. And this is when you're going to do it. And uh, he did it. And he was, in the moment that he did it, the scripture says that Jesus caught his eye. And it's like in that moment, uh, he remembered everything that Jesus had said, and it, it crushed him. It says he went away and he wept bitterly. And Jesus went and died. Jesus rose from the grave. He had revealed himself a couple of times uh, to Peter in particular, sometimes in groups, sometimes on one-on-one. -on -one. And we're told here in John chapter 21, verse 1, that this was the third time in which Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. Uh, notice with me there in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. And that's kind of the way that John frames this part of the story, uh, where Jesus said, you know, go into the region of Galilee. That'd be like, uh, you know, go and meet me at uh, Tahoe. It's like, okay, that's kind of a big area. I don't know where we're going to meet him, so we're going to go up there. And so they're there, and they kind of get bored. And uh, there's a, a repeat of a, events that happen, uh, something that um, happened once before happens again in three different ways. Uh, Jesus uh, will remind him or he'll have echoes of what happened in the past in this present story. Um, and that first uh, echo comes with a fishing story. Uh, the first main point I want to bring out to us is that serving the Lord begins when we come to the end of ourselves. And, and that's how it began with Peter. Uh, and we're going to see an echo of that here in this story. So there's going to be a familiar failure uh, for Peter. Uh, 
and it's his natural ability to lead can only take him so far. Notice there in verses uh, two through five, uh, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of uh, Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two of his disciples were together. Verse three, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. And so Peter is not known for his patience in waiting for the Lord to come or the Lord to do what he thought the Lord should do, come and do. Uh, and he's like, I'm going to go fishing. He wasn't really inviting anybody. He just announced it. I'm going fishing. The other guy's like, all right, we're going to go with you. Uh, and that's kind of uh, the nature of leadership. Uh, there's a, a leadership quote uh, by somebody who said that if you think you're leading and there's nobody following you, then you're out. You're just out for a walk. <laughs> and, and Peter was just a natural leader. Wherever Peter was going, there was people following him behind him. Whether that was a good thing or bad thing, that's just the thing that it was. Uh, and these guys decide to go with him. They go fishing. They go fishing all night. Uh, and again, that's, that was Peter's job before he, he started following Jesus. He started following Jesus uh, as, as a professional commercial fisherman. And he, that's what he did. <laughs> and he was just really good at what he did. His family had a business. They had servants. They had multiple boats. It wasn't like they weren't making it. They were doing quite fine in this family-owned business of commercial fishing. And so Peter was like, I'm going to go fishing. Uh, and when I was first getting into uh, reading things, um, one, of, one of the books that I read on it said that if you ever see a leader doing just a regular menial job, uh, it's probably because they're feeling overwhelmed and defeated in the job that they were supposed to be doing and they just want to feel like they can win at something. Uh, and so if you see somebody who's supposed to be in charge of the whole thing, and they're just like, I'm going to go stock a shelf. I'm just going to put something on the shelf. Hey, look, I, I'm getting something done. Because <laughs> it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm getting anything done anywhere else. And leaders who are often in leadership, when they feel like a failure in leadership, will often go back to something that they're more comfortable with, that they feel like they can win at. And here's Peter. He's like, I don't know how well I'm doing as a follower of Jesus. I denied him three times and once to a little girl. <sighs> I'm going to go fishing, catch some fish, feel a little bit better about myself. All night goes fishing, nothing. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure how often this happened to Peter, uh, but it's not the first time it happened to Peter. Uh, the first time it happened to Peter is in Luke chapter 5, verses uh, 5 through 11. Uh, they had Peter and his brothers and all of them went fishing the night before and they had caught nothing. The next morning, Jesus was there. There was a multitude of people wanting to hear Jesus. And so Jesus is like, hey, can I borrow your boat and push it out a little bit? Preaches the message. And after he was done preaching, uh, he tells the boys, hey, go out and, and cast your nets into the deep. And, and Peter is like, you know, we f fished all night. That's when you catch the fish all night at night. We, we did it at the right time. We caught nothing. Like, nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it. And they throw the net overboard, and it's full of fish, uh, which tells me two things. They didn't catch any fish, not because there was no fish to, ca to catch, but because God divinely <laughs> arranged for them not to catch the fish that were there. 
And then God arranged again, divine success. <laughs> Middle of the day, get all the fish into one <laughs> little circle, <laughs> throw the net, catch all of them. And it was almost sinking the two boats that they were trying to get the fish together. And Peter understood something true about what was going on, that there was, uh, just like there was a familiar failure, and now there's a f familiar success, there's also a, a familiar conclusion. So uh, in our passage, in, in verse 4, uh, sorry, yeah, verse 4, but when the morning had come, had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, uh, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5, and then Jesus called to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Uh, but when the disciples came in the little boats, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the nets, uh, the net with fish, and as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and a fish lay on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153 all and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Uh, and, no, and, no, uh, and none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. And so it's a familiar story. It's a familiar scene. And I was wondering in, Paul, in, in Peter's mind, when he was going to start drawing the connections because the first time this happened is when he left his nets to follow Jesus. The last time he had a failure, uh, this epic, was when he put away the nets to follow Jesus. And when he followed Jesus that first time, he came to a conclusion about himself and about Jesus that they came to a similar conclusion here. The conclusion they came to last time, Peter came to last time, according to Luke uh, chapter 5, was that I'm a sinful man, and you're the Lord. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm a professional at what I'm doing <laughs> in comparison to the Lord, right? And the one thing that I could be an expert in, the Lord knows better than I do. And here he comes again, and it's not Peter who sees it right away because uh, they're far enough away where they can't recognize Jesus from the shore. So as they're fishing and as they're fishing, I'm, I'm sure the sun's coming up, if you can imagine the situation, uh, they're doing their things with the net and out in the distance on the shore, they see somebody out there and maybe they've already caught their fish. <laughs> they're starting to build a fire <laughs> and uh, then they call out and like, hey, have you guys caught anything? And uh, honest fishermen here, there's no fishing stories. You know, oh, I almost got one and got away. <laughs> there's none of that. They answered, no, we haven't got anything. <laughs> Uh, Jesus caught a fish. <laughs> he prepared the fish. He put a fire together. He was making breakfast. As, as far as I'm aware, is the only men's breakfast described in Scripture, and Jesus is the one serving it. And he's, he's there on the shore, and 
when this exchange of words happens, like, hey, have you caught anything? No. Hey, try on the other side of your boat. I know you've been fishing on this side, but try five feet that way. <laughs> I just want to know what it looked like underwater during that whole time. Like, they're casting the nets, and fish are like, ooh. <laughs> they can't be far and, like, cast that side. Okay, I'll get together now. <laughs> that must have been some, some sight to see underwater as far as the fish's perspective of what's going on. Like, oh, we're divine deliverance all night long. This is wonderful. <laughs> and then, <laughs> for the Lord's glory, they're caught. And when that happens, John perceives who it is that they're talking to. He still can't see him, but he can perceive who it is. And he's like, I know who that is. <laughs> the Lord's work was familiar. And John was like, that's the Lord. And Peter was like, if that's the Lord, I'm going to him right now. <laughs> he's out there fishing without his shirt on. He's like, grab my shirt. I'm going to go swimming. <laughs> goes, goes ashore. He doesn't care about the fish. That's what he was there to do, apparently, catch fish and feel better about himself. And he caught no fish and didn't feel any better about himself. And then Jesus provides for him what he's been looking for the whole time. And that's the first step in serving the Lord is, is coming to the end of yourself. And I, I can't underscore that enough. Un, until you're done doing things your way, you will not be ready to do things God's way. For every believer here who's been walking with the Lord for a while, I know you know what I'm talking about because I was there. Uh, I, I became a Christian. I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was 12. Um, I was going to church, trying to obey my parents as best I could before I got saved. And then after I got saved, I continued to go to church <laughs> and continued to try to obey my parents the best I could. On the outside, not a lot changed, but Jesus became my Savior when I was 12. But it wasn't until I was 14 that Jesus became my Lord. And what I mean by that is as a 14-year-old, I saw what I could do apart from the Lord as a, as a believer. That means I, I went and did something willfully, something sinfully that devastated friendships and relationships. And I was like, Lord, if this is what I can do as a Christian apart from you, I don't want to live anymore. I wasn't suicidal, but I saw what I could do and the fruit that my willful life could bring, and I was done because I was undone by what it had done. <laughs> and I was like, God, I'm done living for me. If you have a plan for my life, let's get busy about doing that. And that was the day that I laid down my will for his to be done. My service to the Lord began when I came to an end of myself, when I was done living for me. And I see that here again in Peter's life, learning a lesson he had already learned before, that even if you're a professional, God can make you unsuccessful at whatever the thing is that you want to do. And that even if you had done it one way the whole time, God can still make it successful if he wants to. <laughs> it's, it's in the power of his prerogative to make it happen or make it not happen. And Peter sees that and perceives that and leaves all the fish behind, goes to shore. Even when they're bringing him to shore, he doesn't bring him to shore until Jesus asks him, hey, bring some of the fish. So he gets all of the fish. <laughs> Krebs the net, drags the whole thing. Like, all the other guys are struggling to bring it up. And Peter, in my mind, is like this huge guy. Like, I'm not a Peter. <laughs> and 
Peter's this huge buff guy. He just grabs the net and drags him all to shore. He's just so zealous to do whatever it is that the Lord wants him to do. And the Lord allows them to participate in the breakfast. And he's like, hey, bring some of your fish. I, I'm, so, I'm sure Jesus could have got enough fish <laughs> for everybody. But he, he allowed them to serve and to allow their service to be a blessing to him and to one another. Hey, bring some of those here. And so the failures that God allows in our lives should remind us of a few things. Our own limitations And, and they're, they're not without purpose. The, the purpose is so that we would be done doing things our way and being done with ourselves. And sometimes when we're there, our eyes are focused on God, yet he's, he feels so far away. If, if in my own 14-year-old season of life, somebody had told me that Jesus was on the shore <laughs> and I was in a boat, I'd have jumped in too. That's, that's the desperation for the Lord that, that we all have when, when we fail in ways that we, we thought we shouldn't. And, and this is an easy failure, right? Not catching fish. I mean, if you're a commercial fisherman, that's still kind of a bad day, but that's not the end of the world. But Jesus deals with that first smaller one and, because he's about to deal with something bigger. Uh, verses 15 uh, through 17, Je- Jesus deals with a bigger failure, uh, and its purpose in dealing with it is not to condemn Peter, but to restore Peter and recommission Peter. He will be restored and recommissioned. We read it together. Uh, Jesus, after that breakfast, had some questions for Peter, three questions. Sometimes we think that he's asking the same questions, but they're actually three different questions. Peter gives the same answer three times, and then following that question and answer, uh, the Lord gives him three different exhortations, and they sound similar, but they are different. And so we're going to look at those together. But the backdrop behind this, the parallel story that this one's parallel to, if you're taking note, is in John 18, verses 15 through 27. Uh, Remember that... Peter had said, I will never deny you. And Jesus is like, this is exactly how you're going to do it. <laughs> Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And in John chapter 18, verses 15 through 27, Peter denies Jesus three times. And then the rooster crows, just like Jesus said, because he knows. He knows. Peter didn't know. <laughs> Jesus knew exactly how Peter would fail. But Peter, in his pride, publicly proclaimed, I'm, I'm better than what you think, Jesus. And in fact, I'm also better than all of these other guys. <laughs> and, and so even though Jesus had already restored Peter privately, he is now in this story going to restore Peter publicly. Because Peter's boasting was before these boys, Peter's restoration was going to be before these boys. And just like there was three denials <laughs> of the Lord, and Peter's going to be asked three times a very similar question. So let's look at those three questions first. The three questions are, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And the these is kind of ambiguous. Is it the fish? Is it the other guys that are there? Uh, to me, the context of all of scripture would be the other guys that are there. 
um, because he had already said, I love you more than these guys. Um, but it could also be the fish in the fishing industry. Do you, do you love me more than a successful day fishing? Would you leave all of that behind because of your love for me? But the way that he asks the question is, do you love me? That word there for love is a different kind of word uh, than is going to be used at the end in the last question. That The first word there for love is uh, agape. It's an unconditional um, self-sacrificial, I love you no matter what kind of love. And he, Jesus is asking him, do you love me more, more than these guys? And he, he responds with the answer, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, but he doesn't use the same word. The word he uses instead of agape love is phileo love. He's like, I'm fond of you. I love you like a brother. <laughs> That's the best he could commit to. There's a little bit more humility in his response than just days earlier. When he, I love you more <laughs> than any of these other guys. Like They might deny you. I understand you thinking that. But I won't. Now he's like, I'm, I can only meet you here. This is where I'm at. But this is what I have. Jesus asks him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, verse 16, do you love me? Again, the agape love. Now he's not asking you, do you love me more than these? And Peter's like, you know, I, I'm fond of you. And so Jesus is like, well, do you agape me? And Peter again answers and says, Lord, you know that I phileo, I, I'm fond of you. And then change his answer. The last time Jesus asked the question, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He doesn't ask, do you agape me? He's like, are you a friend? Do you phileo me? And that's why when Peter hears it, he, he's grieved. <laughs> he had to bring Jesus down <laughs> to his level. Like, this is where I'm at. And he meets him there. And the thing that Peter repeats is, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And what he's confessing here is that it is the exact opposite of what Peter said before. Before Jesus, Peter said, you don't know me and my love for you. Now Peter's saying, you do know me and you do know my love for you. There's a lot more uh, humility in that. And in, in those questions and answers, there's a, uh, a restored relationship that's happening. Peter, you denied me publicly three times. And now I'm giving you that opportunity to publicly recommit your love to me. Additionally, above and beyond all of that, Jesus could have just asked the questions and Peter could have given these answers and that would have been more than what would have been expected of Jesus. But Jesus goes above and beyond that. After Peter answers the first time, Jesus exhorts, and publicly recommissions Peter, feed my lambs. After the second question and answer, Jesus exhorts, tend my sheep. The third time, feed my sheep. Uh, the first one, feed my lambs, go teach children's ministry. It's the little ones. Lambs are our baby sheep. Go, go feed them. The ones that are most tender, 
that are most vulnerable, Peter, I want you to be the one in charge of feeding them. Jesus is ex expressing confidence in Peter's competence <laughs> to do and care for something that is precious to him. Beyond that, he says, tend my sheep. Those would be the adults, the full-grown sheep. And he's like, not only feed them, but take care of all of them, every aspect of their life. When we go through the book of First and Second Peter, you see that that's what he's doing. At the end of First Peter, he talks about the chief shepherd of our soul. Do you want to know why he talks about that? Because of this passage right here. They're his sheep that he's committing to Peter. Lastly, he says, feed my sheep. And, and we see Peter doing that in the writing of his letters. And so he, through the three questions, elicits from Peter a public confession. Through the three answers, he allows Peter to publicly recommit his life to Jesus. And lastly, through the three exhortations, he um, publicly recommissions Peter as an apostle. He was already sent out before, but after a failure like this, who, who, who would think that he could still be used? Probably not Peter. And yet, Jesus did. And in fact, he, he goes out of his way to recommission him. That's why Peter, when he's writing, could say, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is simply one who is sent out with a message. It's what, you know, he's representing the one who was sent. And, and that's, this is when this is happening for Peter. So with our own sin, for there to be restoration, there needs to be confession of the sin. <laughs> there needs to be a recommitment to, to the Lord. And if it was a public sin, as public as the sin was, the repentance should be just as notorious. If it's a private sin, it should be private confession. If it's a public sin, it should be as public as the sin was, the, the confession and repentance. And that's what happens here with Peter. But there's more. Uh, the story could have ended there and it would have been sufficient. Peter is restored, recommissioned. But Jesus has more for him than just that. Uh, and he's going to uh, exhort him to continue focusing on following him. Uh, my third point is our focus in serving God should be on ourselves following him. And you'll see why I say that here in a minute. There's a, the, the parallel to this last part of the story is in John 22, 31 through 34, where, Jesus, uh, where Peter specifically says, I will follow you wherever you go. I would, I would go to prison with you. I would follow you even to death. He makes that commitment. Moments later, he's hacking off a person's ear. Jesus puts it back on. <laughs> Peter put that away. <laughs> so I believe that he was genuine in his own mind and what he meant. Uh, but then right from there, he goes to denying Jesus. And Peter says, I would, Peter had said, I would die for you. And now Peter's like, I don't even know if I can live for you. Jesus says, not only can you live for me, this is the job I want you to do. Go feed and tend my lambs and sheep. But not only that, that commitment you made before, well, let me just read it. Verses 18 through 22. Most assuredly, this is Jesus speaking to Peter still. Most assuredly, I say to you, 
When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. Um, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and, and another work will gird you and carry you to where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying the death by which he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. What Jesus is saying here, and he kind of uses a, a metaphor that he would have understood when he says, your hands will be stretched out. Uh, that meant he's going to be crucified. Peter had said, I would die for you before. And he was like, I don't know if I can, you're my friend. I'm not sure if I would, I would die for you. I, I'm not sure if I can live for you. And Jesus is now telling him, look, I'm telling you, you are not only going to serve me with all of your life, you're going to serve me until you're old and you die for me. Jesus is prophesying Peter's death. We, we know from church history that Peter was eventually crucified, and uh, upon his own request, he asked to be crucified upside down uh, so he wouldn't, because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like his Lord. And it was true what Peter had boasted earlier, Jesus is now telling him that he would, and in doing so, it wouldn't be glorifying to Peter. But if you noticed there at the end of uh, or the end of the sentence in verse 19, he says uh, that his death would glorify God because it's something that Jesus said he would do and be able to do and have the ability to do. Now he's speaking to Peter words of encouragement. I'm sure Peter was like, there's no way <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for Jesus. I couldn't even say to a, a small little girl, yeah, I'm a disciple of his. How am I going to die for him? Jesus is saying to him, you will, and when you're old. And we, we kind of see reflections of this in, in the book of Acts. Early on in Peter's life, he gets thrown into prison, and he's about to be beheaded, and he goes to sleep. An angel has to wake him up by kicking him because he is that asleep. He is sleeping that peacefully because he's not old yet. <laughs> and Jesus said, when you are old. And he's like, well, I'm not old yet. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a nap. <laughs> he had confidence in what God said would be true for him. Uh, but he, just like any of my children, gets a little distracted along the way. Uh, verse 20, then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following and said, uh, who had leaned on his breast at the Last Supper, this is John, and uh, said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? If you have kids and you've told one to do something hard, <laughs> this is a phrase you've heard before. <laughs> well, what about them? <laughs> I'm glad this is not just my kids, but also phone-grown adults in the relationship with the Lord. <laughs> and, and the Lord I borrow this phrase from the Lord from time to time in my own parenting. <laughs> uh, in verse 22, uh, responds to him, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, and here's the phrase I use, what is that to you? You follow me. Sometimes we are more concerned about the obedience of others than our own. Sometimes with my own kids, I, I tell them, hey, you clean the living room, you clean the kitchen table, and you stop making messes. <laughs> and one's so busy correcting the other that nobody's doing anything. And he's like, oh, he's not, he's not. I'm like, and you aren't either. I asked you to do a job, and you were too busy telling him he's not doing his job that you weren't doing yours. 
This is going to happen on a Sunday morning as well. Like, this is how it normally comes out on a Sunday morning. You hear a great sermon. You're like, that was amazing. I really wish so-and-so was here. <laughs> what you're saying is, but Lord, what about, what about their obedience? And, and the Lord is trying to get our attention. And like, who cares? If I want them to stay alive forever and they never die, what is that to you? What's important is that we obey the Lord. I can't make my kids obey the Lord. I can hardly make myself obey the Lord. I should spend all of my time <laughs> working on me. <laughs> and this command to follow me is repeated twice. Did you notice that at the end of verse 19 and the end of verse 22? He says, first, follow me. And then he emphatically says, you follow me. And this is after he's commissioned to go feed the lambs and feed the sheep and tend, tend the sheep. After he's already given him a job to do, his, his call to leadership, its foundation is in his followership. To put it another way, his, his call to lead does not negate his call to follow. If you're called into leadership, if you're a teacher here or an elder or an usher or a parent, you're leading. But the fruitfulness of your leadership will flow from your faithfulness to your followership. The way one uh, pastor once explained it to me was that your public ministry will never outpace your private devotion. You can't give what you don't have. And so he's calling Peter once again, follow me. I know you're going to go and do great things for me, but the foundation for it will be in your following me. The fruit from it will flow from your following me. From your hearing me and obeying me, uh, the fruitfulness will flow from your faithfulness. So our sermon title, again, was a question, can God still use me after I fail? The answer is yes, because God only has the option to choose failures. <laughs> and uh, he has more mercy and grace than I have sin. And God's mercy and grace is more uh, than your sin. But those two things come together through the confession and forsaking of sin. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, to Christians, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. At the exact moment we are unfaithful and unjust, God is both faithful and just if we confess our sins. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, taught them a daily prayer in which they would confess sin. God's expectation of us is that we sin on a regular basis and that the confession of that sin should be a part of our normal Christian life. And as the Lord opens our eyes to those failures that we never saw were there, we were, and still in some ways are like Peter, Lord, I would never, I mean other Christians obviously, but not me. When the, when the Lord shows us, no, even me, 
when we fail like that and we feel so far from the Lord, I want you in that moment to be able to discern the difference between the Lord's voice in that moment and the enemy's voice in that moment. And it's really hard because they're both talking about the sin in your life. The enemy will be recognized because he will try to use that sin to drive you farther away from the Lord. He will say, you failed in this way. How could God possibly love you? Why would God want you to be a part of his family? That's a lie. Yeah, that sin's there. That's not a lie. (laughs) That sin is there. (laughs) The word of the Lord deals with the sin in our life to draw us closer to the Lord, not to drive us farther away. So when sin is in your life and you're feeling condemned, know that those words that are condemning you are not from the Lord, they're from the enemy. But if they're convicting you, don't pin on the devil what the Lord is trying to do. He's trying to deal with the sin in your heart. He wants to remove it so he can have a closer relationship with you. When, when the sin and the shame are removed, there, there's a joy of salvation that's experienced. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is condemnation to be had, but if you're in Christ Jesus, it's not yours anymore. While we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. He took on that condemnation. The sin is real. The condemnation is real, but Jesus took it. And if you're a believer, there's no condemnation for you. So when you fall, or if you've fallen, know that as great as your sin is, his mercy is more. And that if the devil's lying to you, that God doesn't love you anymore, that your sin has condemned you and separated you. Remind him, (laughs) yes, that sin was bad, and it, it deserves everything that you've talked about, but Jesus took that for me. If you want to talk about that bill, it's already been paid. Jesus paid it all. So as we go through this life serving the Lord and discovering how sinful we are, don't let the devil lie to you about the Lord's love for you. Recognize that when God is speaking to you, he often uses questions. I'm not sure if you know this, but the first question God asked was a question that parents ask. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had sinned. They've eaten the fruit. They've got their camouflage on. They're sewed fig leaves together. Now God can't see me. And God's like in the garden. He's like, hey, Adam, where are you? The purpose of Jesus' question was so that they would consider where they were at in relationship to him, that they would consider the truthfulness because they were trying to hide from God because of the sin that was undealt with in their life. And God was pursuing them with a question. And Jesus pursued Peter with his questions. Do you really love me more than these? What he was drawing out from them, the Lord wants to draw out from each one of us. An honesty about ourselves, a confession of him as our Lord, not just our Savior. We're going to close in a song, Lord willing. Yeah, song? Can we do it? Okay, we're going to do a song. Uh, and as the worship team comes forward, I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. Uh, would you pray with me?
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for you, Lord, for the love that you have for each one of us. Lord, that the answer to the question, can God still use me after I fail? That the answer is a, is a glorious yes. Not because we are good, but because you are good. Not because we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency comes from you. Lord, your grace is sufficient in our weakness. Lord, your mercies were new this morning because we needed mercies that were new this morning. Lord, help us to discern the difference between the, the lies of the enemy with regard to the sins in our lives and your voice. Lord, let us be quick to confess. Lord, allow us to know the joy of your salvation. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.